Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Just like you, I've been waiting with bated breath to start my program. First things first. It's very simple. The Democrats in the House of Representatives impeached the President of the United States. They're supposed to make their case based on the vote they took in the House of Representatives to impeach the President of the United States. Not to embellish it, not add to it, Why did they impeach the President of the United States? Based on what evidence? Not that we need more evidence, we need more witnesses. They keep repeating themselves about trials in civil and criminal courts. This isn't a trial in civil and criminal court. Then they keep repeating themselves about past impeachments where witnesses were allowed and so forth. This is completely different. The Democrats in the House of Representatives have treated this president like no president has been treated in American history. Period. So there's nothing similar about this to anything. Which is why the United States Senate, the Republicans in the majority, have a duty to uphold the Constitution against the House Democrats and the House managers. Two of these committee chairmen our House managers with Adam Schiff leading the management team. So let me just be clear, because most of the legal analysts and reporters on cable and network, they don't understand. These House managers have a job that requires them to defend their impeachment. Or, if you prefer to prosecute what they've already done. Not to bring in quote-unquote new evidence and quote-unquote witnesses in the hopes of finding other information. The Senate's not voting on articles of impeachment. The Senate's not voting on new articles of impeachment. The Senate's not voting on amending existing articles of impeachment. The Senate is voting on what the House of Representatives has done. Now, they voted to impeach the president. And they're having a hell of a tough time defending it. All day long. With their video clips and their graphics. They're regurgitating. Regurgitating. Their hearsay, their connecting of the dots. Missing documents. They did talked about in the house. And then drawing their own opinions and conclusions. 
Some news people have found it very compelling. It's not compelling, it's preposterous. It's never been compelling. Now, the Constitution doesn't say that impeachment is whatever the House of Representatives says. The Constitution defines what impeachment is for. Treason? Where's the evidence of treason? None. Bribery? Even Paul tested it. Where's the evidence of bribery? None. And other high crimes and misdemeanors. In other words, other similar offenses. There aren't any. There are none. So what the Democrats in the House of Representatives did is they changed the impeachment clause of the Constitution without an amendment by expanding it to include their narrative. They voted to impeach the President of the United States on two articles that are unconstitutional. They're not embraced by the language in the Constitution. Treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors. And so, now that it's in the Senate, they make two arguments. That the evidence is overwhelming, but we need more evidence. The evidence of what is overwhelming? There is no treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. And none is specifically asserted. None. And so we get into the weeds here with these long, inane, monotonous arguments. And what are they? Well, this one said this, and this one said that. It's not the purpose of the Senate trial. Not in the least. Not in the least. Now, I did a uh, program today on Levin TV. And uh, I know my executive producer's listening. You make sure it's on the Levin TV Facebook, not just Blaze TV. And make sure Mr. Producer has it so it's on my radio and general social sites too. That's what we want to do. It'll be on Blaze YouTube page, but I want it on Levin TV on that page, period. So, Mr. Producer, you keep an eye out for this, and you let me know how it goes, okay? Because what I did in Levin TV was something quite unique, which we will release at about 7 p.m., give or take, early. I imagined myself giving the opening statement on behalf of the President of the United States, to the United States Senators for almost 40 minutes. No notes, no teleprompters, nothing. What's basically been happening today on the United States Senate is a farce. A farce. You see, ladies and gentlemen, The job the president's lawyers have to do and the job the majority in the Senate has to do is defend the Constitution. But in this case, not against the president. Against the majority in the House of Representatives. We don't need lectures 
from tyrants about witnesses. We don't need lectures from tyrants about transparency. We don't need lectures from tyrants about cross-examination and evidence. No. Because they provided next to none in the House proceedings. I am now convinced, beyond a shadow of a doubt, convinced, that the House and Senate Democrats were colluding with each other from day one. They share the same talking points, the same strategies. And they decided that they would railroad the President of the United States in a star chamber, Stalinist-type environment in the House. And when it got to the Senate, they would try to railroad the majority, knowing there are weak links among the Republicans, Collins, Murkowski, Gardner, Romney, among others. And then push for witnesses and more evidence in the Senate. And when Nancy Pelosi delayed for a month, transit, uh, sending the, uh, the articles to the Senate, was to give them even more time to collude and to plot and to plan. This has nothing to do with what the president did. If it wasn't this, it would be Russia. If it wasn't Russia, it would be campaign funding. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Now, what's troubling to me is we're starting to see some weakness on the Republican side. McConnell has already changed his proposed rule. It was supposed to be 24 hours each side to make their case over two days, 12 hours a day. Democrats complain, hell, we'll be here till one in the morning. Of course, what they don't say is it also covers prime time. But one in the morning, nobody will be watching. And some of the Republicans pressured McConnell, who's easily pressured, to go to three days. So now it's eight hours a day for three days. And what about evidence? Well, maybe the Democrats will be able to provide some evidence early on in the process. Well, I'm looking at the charts they're presenting, Mr. Producer. Isn't that their evidence? I'm listening to their statements. Isn't that their evidence? Is somebody stopping them? No, they need new evidence. But wait a minute. This trial is about the vote of impeachment based on the information that was used to impeach the president. The articles were passed, they claim, based on the information they had gathered and accumulated. You can't now go to the United States Senate and say, we need more. No. Remember what I said. This is about a trial on the articles that they passed based on the information that they used. It's not a trial about the articles they passed plus additional information that they may come up with to promote it in the Senate. Much more when I return. As the new year begins, Hillsdale College thanks you for your loyalty to freedom. 
Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of Liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive Imprimus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. You know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. Now, this independence allows the college to focus on its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, without government interference. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership and extending its mission to the rest of the country. Happy New Year from Hillsdale College. And to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. My friend Joel Pollack at Breitbart tweeted out, where the hell is Chief Justice Roberts? And what he means by that is this. These are supposed to be arguments now over process, the rules. And what the Democrats have obviously decided in collaboration and coordination with Schumer and the Democrats in the Senate is to use them for substantive arguments. So they're breaking the rules already. They're supposed to be 24 hours, eight hours a day over three days for both sides to make their case. What Schiff and the Democrats are doing now is they're making substantive arguments dressed up as challenges to the rule that McConnell has put forward. Not a single individual in the press has picked this up, but that's exactly what's going on. So they are extending their ability to make these propagandistic and demagogic arguments, these allegations without facts. And they're repetitious. They just keep over and over and over saying the same thing. But I want to remind you yet again. This trial is supposed to relate back to the articles that were sent to the House and the information, the allegations they're based on. Not new witnesses. They didn't pass these articles with new witnesses. It's an impossibility. They didn't pass these articles with evidence yet acquired their claim. The Senate is supposed to be sitting in judgment of what the House did, not what the House managers want to do. This is crucially important. But that's not what's taking place. And the Chief Justice is sitting there like a bump on the log. I guess that's what he's decided to do. But I honestly believe this needs to be challenged now. Whether they will or not is a whole other story. I don't know. Uh, we're going to be putting my uh, Levin TV in front of the paywall. You'll be able to see the entire thing. I think you'll appreciate it, learn from it, and enjoy it. Uh, we'll be linking to it on Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter, and my Levin TV Facebook site, and I guess other places as well. And I hope you'll take a look at it and spread the word. Because there's ways to challenge what Schiff and the others are doing out here in the public, outside the halls of Congress, which is exactly what I seek to do. I think the uh, president's lawyers have done a decent job so far. I think Adam Schiff is just going on and on as Schiff does, making platitudinous rhetorical arguments regurgitating a lot of the information they have and then complaining 
We need more witnesses. We need more evidence. But I want to repeat yet again to underscore the point. What is supposed to be considered by the Senate is that which has already been done. That which has already been done by the House. Not what the House wants to do. That is, these so-called articles of impeachment and the basis for them. They're supposed to be prosecuting based on those articles and the information they have, not demanding new information and witnesses. And the weakness, of course, is that what the House Democrats did is they changed the requirements for impeachment in the Constitution of the United States without an amendment. They broadened it to accommodate their narrative and their cynical political objectives. They're throwing up lots of static about fairness and impartiality, which is pretty funny coming from their Stalinist conduct in the House of Representatives. I've also heard it said, including from some good friends, that if the Trump legal team starts to question the evidence, quote-unquote, then that will open them up to having more witnesses. No, it won't. This isn't a federal criminal trial. This isn't a civil case in a courtroom. Why would it open them up to having more witnesses? They can talk about the evidence that's on the record. What these so-called impeachment charges are based on. What would you need witnesses for? These so-called witnesses have already testified. So you already have the information. It doesn't open them up to more witnesses. Why? Plus, all the Senate has to do is say no. That again, we're basing it on the information that was compiled, illegitimately or otherwise, by the Democrats in the House. And we are going to take on this information. We are going to challenge it. But that doesn't have to open the door to witnesses. You know, I've argued a number of appellate cases in a various circuit courts. And you argue the facts and the law. Well, they can only overturn on the law, but you have to apply the facts. You don't bring witnesses in to a courtroom in appellate litigation or in the Supreme Court. So it is a bad parallel to be drawing this to federal litigation. It has nothing to do with it. And there's no necessity for additional witnesses. I'll be right back. You hear me talk about Hillsdale College a lot, about its rigorous classical liberal arts curriculum, about its exceptionally bright and patriotic students. 175 years ago, Hillsdale College was founded with a mission defined by four enduring purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. While many institutions have lost their way, Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom. I've also talked about the great Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College. It's one of the finest Americans I've ever known. And he explains that these four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, remain inseparable in the activity of education at Hillsdale College. He says, learning is difficult and takes more than talent. It takes hard work, which requires character. Freedom is essential for learning, but it is fragile and constantly under threat 
so its principles must be studied by all for the sake of its defense. At Hillsdale, faith and learning are integrated toward God because he is the first authority. Folks, if you've ever wondered why I love Hillsdale College, now you know. Visit hillsdale.edu. That's hillsdale.edu for more information. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Remember, that's hillsdale.edu, hillsdale.edu. Mark Levin, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. We're going to play what I stated on Levin TV in hour two. I think you're going to want to hear this, but if you want to hear it earlier, you can go to Levin TV Facebook right now. You can go to Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. Uh, I believe it'll be on Blaze TV, probably a conservative review. It'll be all over the place, probably going viral. But we'll play some of it for you in the second hour. Again, if you want to get jump ahead, just go to any of those sites. Levin TV, Facebook, Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter, among other places. It'll be on YouTube as well if you want to get a head start. And if you listen to it and like it, I hope you'll pass it around. Because the goal here is to get our case out and to do something truly unique with modern technology and the multiple platforms that I'm on. Radio, digital TV, podcast, and even regular cable TV. And that is to use at least three out of four of those platforms tonight. Three out of four to promote our position, our argument on behalf of the Constitution, the office of the presidency, and President Trump. And to put the bullseye of the Constitution where it belongs. On the House managers and on the House. That's the goal. Now, Jay Sekulow, on the Senate floor at the impeachment trial today, we can't play it all, but we'll play little pieces of it. Cut one, go. Mr. Schiff also talked about a trifecta. I'll give you a trifecta. During the proceedings that took place before the Judiciary Committee, the president was denied the right to cross-examine witnesses. The president was denied the right to access evidence. And the president was denied the right to have counsel present at hearings. That's a trifecta. A trifecta that violates the Constitution of the United States. Mr. Schiff did say the courts really don't have a role in this. Executive privilege, why would that matter? It matters because it's based on the Constitution of the United States. One manager said that it is you that are on trial, the Senate. He also said that, and others did, that you're not capable of abiding by your oath. And then we had the invocation of the ghost of the Mueller report. I know something about that report. It came up empty on the issue of collusion with Russia. There was no obstruction. In fact, the Mueller report, to the contrary of what these managers say today, came to the exact opposite conclusions of what they say. Mm-hmm. Cut to go. I am not today going to take the time to review, and I will do it later, 
the pattern and practices of irregularities that have gone on in these investigations from the outset. But to say that the courts have no role, the rush to impeachment, to not wait for a decision from a court on an issue as important as executive privilege, as if executive privilege hasn't been utilized by presidents since our founding. This is not some new concept. We don't waive executive privilege, and there's a reason we keep executive privilege, and we assert it when necessary, and that is to protect, to protect the Constitution and the separation of powers. The President's opponents, in their rush to impeach, have refused to wait for complete judicial review. That was their choice. Speaker Pelosi clearly expressed her impatience and contempt for judicial proceedings when she said, we cannot be at the mercy of the courts. Think about that for a moment. We cannot be at the mercy of the courts. So take Article 3 of the United States Constitution, remove it. We're acting as if the courts are an improper venue to determine constitutional issues of this magnitude? That is why we have courts. That is why we have a federal judiciary. Mm -hmm. Pat Cipollone, White House counsel to the President of the United States. Cut three, go. When you look at these articles of impeachment, they're not only ridiculous, they are dangerous to our republic. And why? First of all, the notion that invoking your constitutional rights to protect the executive branch that's been done by just about every president since George Washington, that that is obstruction. That is our patriotic duty, Mr. Schiff, particularly when confronted with a wholesale trampling of constitutional rights that I'm unfamiliar with in this country. Frankly, it's the kind of thing that our State Department would criticize if we see it in foreign countries. We've never seen anything like it. And Mr. Schiff said, have I got a deal for you. Abandon all your constitutional rights. Forget about your lawyers and come in and do exactly what I say. No thank you. No thank you. And then he says he has the temerity to come into the Senate and say, we have no use for courts. It's outrageous. Mm -hmm. Cut for Pat Cipollone, White House counsel to the president. Go. Some of you are upset because you should be in Iowa right now. But instead, we're here. And they're not ready to go. And it's outrageous. It's outrageous. And the American people won't stand for it, I'll tell you that right now. They're not here to steal one election, they're here to steal two elections. It's buried in the small print of their ridiculous articles of impeachment. They want to remove the President Trump from the ballot. They won't tell you that. They don't have the guts to say it directly, but that's exactly what they're here to do. They're asking the Senate 
to attack one of the most sacred rights we have as American, Americans, the right to choose our president. In an election year, it's never been done before. It shouldn't be done Now, the reason it's never been done is because no one ever thought that it would be a good idea for our country, for our children, for our grandchildren, to try to remove a president from a ballot, to deny the American people the right to vote based on a fraudulent investigation conducted in secret with no rights. Well, I could go on and on, but my point is very simple. It's long past time that we start this so we can end this ridiculous charade and go have an election. Mm-hmm. Pat Philman, also speaking on behalf of the president's legal team, Cut five, go. It's remarkable that after taking the action of the breathtaking gravity of voting to impeach the duly elected president of the United States, and after saying for weeks that they had overwhelming evidence to support their case, the first thing that the House managers have done upon arriving finally in this chamber after waiting for 33 days is to say, well, actually, we need more evidence. We're not ready to present our case. We need to have subpoenas and we need to do more discovery because we don't have the evidence we need to support our case. This is stunning. It's a stunning admission of the inadequate and broken process that the House Democrats ran in this impeachment inquiry that failed to compile a record to support their charges. It's stunning that they don't have the evidence they need to present their case and that they don't really have a case. If a litigant showed up in any court in this country on the day of trial and said to the judge, actually, Your Honor, we're not ready to go. We need more discovery. We need to do some more subpoenas. We need to do some more work. They'd be thrown out of court and the lawyers would probably be sanctioned. Mm. This is not the... By the way, it's interesting he says that because in my Levin TV, which I taped hours ago, I said something similar. But you'll see when when you watch it. Go ahead body should condone. Mm -hmm. Pat Philbin again, cut six, go. We've heard Manager Schiff say several times that we have to have a fair process here, and I was struck by it that at one point he said if you allow only one side to present evidence, the outcome will be predetermined. The outcome will be predetermined. That's exactly what happened in the House. Let's recall that the process they had in the House was one-sided. They locked the president and his lawyers out. There was no due process for the president. They started with secret hearings in the basement. The president couldn't be present by by his counsel. He couldn't present evidence. He couldn't cross-examine witnesses. And then there was a second round in public where, again, they locked the president out. And we've heard they just said that the president had an opportunity to participate. In the third round of hearings that they held before the Judiciary Committee, After one hearing on December 4th, Speaker Pelosi, on the morning of December 5th, went out and announced the conclusion of the Judiciary Committee proceedings. She announced that she was directing Chairman Nadler to draft articles of impeachment. That was before the day 
that they had set for the president even to tell them what rights he wanted to have and to exercise in their proceedings. It was all already predetermined. The outcome had been predetermined. The Judiciary Committee had already decided it was not going to have any fact hearings. There was no process for the president. He was never allowed to participate. Mm -hmm. So when Chairman Schiff says here that if you only allow one side to present evidence, that predetermines the outcome, that's what they did in the House, because they had a predetermined outcome there, because it was all one-sided. And for him to lecture this body now on what a fair process would be, take some gall. Yeah. We know he doesn't have the other. Hopefully he has some gall. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. As the new year begins, Hillsdale College thanks you for your loyalty to freedom. Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of Liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive Imprimus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. You know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. Now, this independence allows the college to focus on its core purposes, learning, character, faith and freedom without government interference. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership and extending its mission to the rest of the country. Happy New Year from Hillsdale College. And to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Once again... The Democrat House managers are breaking the rules. They're making substantive arguments rather than debating the procedures that are to be put in place for the actual debate, 24 hours, 8 hours a day for 3 days. It was to be 12 hours a day for 2 days. And so they're using the occasion of the supposed amendments to the rules to just make substantive arguments. And I'm going to tell you why this is going to backfire, Mr. Producer. It's monotonous. Is it not? It's boring. Boring. It is monotonous. Mark my words. I think you're going to start seeing a dip in ratings if this keeps up. So the Democrats will get the opposite of what they want. But it is a handful of weak link Republicans that I'm, that I'm really worried about. They don't understand that their duty is to the Constitution. And that duty requires them to be a check on the House. Again, on Levin TV tonight, which is in front of the paywall, which is free, you can go right now to Levin TV Facebook or go to Mark Levin Show, excuse me, Mark Levin Show Facebook. Or Mark Levin show Twitter. And it's there right now. But we will also be playing it in part, if not in full, in the next hour. Because we're going to make our case. I can make the case to millions and millions of people. 
I think the president's lawyers are doing a terrific job, but I can make the case too, to millions and millions of people. And so I will. I'm sorry, I know it's painful. Early in the so-called trial, Adam Schiff, cut seven, go. The president is charged with other misconduct that would likewise have alarmed the founders. The full, complete, and absolute obstruction of a co-equal branch of government, the Congress, during the course of its impeachment investigation into the president's own misconduct. This is every bit as destructive of our constitutional order as the misconduct charged in the first article. If a president can obstruct his own investigation... All right, wait, 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 wait. There's a doctrine out there, and apparently Adam Schiff is not comfortable with it, called separation of powers. Just because a rogue, temporary, relatively small majority in the House of Representatives decides to concoct an impeachment scenario together, and in the case of Adam Schiff, working with a CIA operative who had worked at the NSA, excuse me, NSC, and working with his staff as a pretext to what has taken place here. Doesn't mean it opens the door to everything and anything the Democrats in the House of Representatives want. Do you know not a single subpoena that was issued was voted on by the entire House? And there are court decisions Federal court decisions that have said if a committee issues a subpoena, it's not a separation of powers issue for the Congress because the entire House has to vote on it, not merely a committee. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. And I hope we'll hear some talk about this phony whistleblower at this trial. And Adam Schiff. And the collusion that took place there. Adam Schiff wants you to know what the founders thought. The founders of what? The Soviet Union? Certainly not the United States. Go ahead. Nullify a power the Constitution gives solely to Congress. Not nullifying anything, the president. He's going to court. You know, there is Article 3. There is a federal judiciary. In fact, the head of that judiciary, the Chief Justice of the United States, is sitting in on this trial. Adam Schiff doesn't get to make all the decisions. It's not Iran. Go ahead. Power. The ultimate power the Constitution gives to prevent presidential misconduct. Then the president places himself beyond accountability, above The president the hasn't placed himself beyond anything. You are a lowlife and a snake. That's what you are. But you're not even known on Jeopardy, for God's sakes. I'll be right back. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Let's get started. My opening statement to the United States Senate on behalf of the Constitution, the Office of the Presidency, and the President. 
And I do this not because I don't support what the president's lawyers are doing. I think they're doing a great job. But because I feel it's important for all of us to get our message out. So here you go. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. This is Levin TV. And tonight, we're going to do something a little differently. I'm going to represent the President of the United States on the floor of the Senate in the opening of the so-called impeachment trial. Now that you've heard the President's lawyers and Mr. Schiff, I just felt maybe I ought to take a shot at this. Here goes. Thank you, Senators, Mr. Chief Justice, House Managers, and the President's legal team. We are here today not to defend the Constitution against the President of the United States, but to defend the Constitution from the House Managers. Two of the House Managers were chairman of two of the so-called impeachment committees in the House of Representatives. Mr. Schiff, you know well, was chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Mr. Nadler was chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. And they come here before the United States Senate, 100 senators, 300 million Americans, the Chief Justice of the United States, and they say, we need witnesses to prove our case. And if we don't get witnesses, it's a cover-up. It's a sham. We need a fair, impartial process. The United States Constitution could not be clear. The framers could not have been clear. After debating at length the impeachment clause of the Constitution, they came up with very specific language on what the House can do if it seeks to impeach a president. The House is limited in what it can do to start the process of removing a president of the United States. Treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. As I stand here before you today, they have presented no information on treason, no information on bribery. Those words don't even exist in their so-called impeachment charges. And other high crimes and misdemeanors, meaning other offenses that are, are as serious as treason and bribery. Where is it? Just tell us. Where's the treason? Where's the bribery? What are the other high crimes and misdemeanors? So what did they do? They amended the Constitution of the United States illegally. They changed the language to fit their narrative. And now they come before the United States Senate and say, if you don't accept their narrative, if you don't expect, accept their impeachment charges, then you, you, the United States Senate, you're involved in a cover-up. You're obstructing. You're not doing justice. It's kind of upside down, isn't it? Now, we are here to defend the Constitution of the United States from the majority in the House of Representatives and these managers. There is no treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. That's why they come to you with obstruction of Congress? Obstruction of Congress. The last time I checked, this body is part of Congress. The managers represent the majority in the House. I say the majority in the House because they couldn't persuade a single Republican, despite the diversity of the Republican caucus, not one, to join them 
in their effort to remove a constitutionally duly elected president of the United States. Not one. So it is one party in the House of Representatives. And they come into this body and they insist that you do what they would not do. Prove the case for treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. They voted to impeach the President of the United States, to remove the President of the United States for treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. But oops, they changed the language to obstruction of Congress and abuse of power. Now, we know the history of the impeachment clause of the Constitution. No thanks to Adam Schiff or Jerry Nadler or the Democrats in the House. We know it because the history is written down most conclusively by James Madison. He was actually at the Constitutional Convention and had the most active role in framing our Constitution, the number one framer. George Mason, a great founding father who wrote the Virginia Declaration of Rights a few weeks before Jefferson drafted the Declaration of Independence. He was at the Constitutional Convention throughout. He suggested that a president could be impeached by the House for maladministration. James Madison stood up and said, maladministration? That means the House of Representatives of the United States Senate could remove a president of the United States basically over policy differences. We can't have that because the president of the United States would then be answerable to, kidnapped by, if you will, the House of Representatives and the United States Senate. We have three independent co-equal bodies. The House of Representatives doesn't have illimitable power. The House of Representatives may be motivated by politics, but this is a constitutional process. And these managers, two of whom were chairmen, who controlled the whole process, come into this body. They don't have one argument they can make for treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. They would seek to amend the Constitution, and then they demand that you help them make their case. They just voted. What is their case? They have no case. They sat on it for weeks before they sent it to the United States Senate. They've come up with conflicting arguments. We have to remove the president quickly because of national security concerns. And he may, and he may corrupt the next election. Then they sit on it. Then they come in here and say, slow down. We want witnesses, we want evidence, we want... This is about the Constitution of the United States, not what the majority party in the House of Representatives demands. They had iron fist control in the House of Representatives, and they used it. And now they come over here and seek to lecture you, the United States Senate, on what witnesses you can call. They don't want all witnesses here. They only want their witnesses here. They don't want Hunter Biden even though they say the President of the United States sought Ukraine's interference in the 2020 election. Ladies and gentlemen, read the transcript of the President's phone call. He didn't seek Ukraine's interference in anything any more than he sought Russia's interference in anything. He didn't seek anybody's interference in anything. He wanted to know if the Bidens participated in corrupt practices. Why should they be immune? Why should they be the bubble family, where only the Trump family's investigated, with endless subpoenas, with a special counsel, with all kinds of, of power thrown at the president? He can be investigated. In fact, this entire impeachment 
is intended to immunize the Bidens so you can never raise any questions about them, to affect the 2020 election, which is why it's timed the way it has been, and to continue to attack the credibility of the 2016 election. How do we know this? They have no evidence of treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors, so they changed the bar. They lowered it. They lowered it. Now let's talk about what these managers, what these managers who were handpicked by Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, did when they were running the House of Representatives in these committees. They talk about transparency. Well, when they held testimony, sworn testimony of witnesses in the basement of the House of Representatives in the skiff, leaked transcripts to the media, cherry-picked information, some of the transcripts still haven't been released in full. In order to determine the witnesses that would bet fist their narrative, was that transparent? When they denied the Republicans the right to call their witnesses, including the so-called whistleblower, including the chief house manager, was that transparency? When the President of the United States, the target of their wrath and their impeachment, was unable to have his counsel present during any of this process in the House Intelligence Committee to present witnesses, to cross-examine witnesses, to present evidence in that phase, in that impeachment, was that transparency? When the House Judiciary Committee took what the House Intelligence Committee did and regurgitated and had two hearings, one with four law professors and one with the lawyers representing both sides of the House Intelligence Committee. Was that really a serious impeachment inquiry, ladies and gentlemen? They couldn't get one Republican to go along. So the President of the United States was denied the due process that was afforded Richard Nixon. He was denied the due process that was afforded Bill Clinton. He was even denied the due process that was afforded Andrew Johnson, who was so shabbily treated during the impeachment back in the 1860s. And everybody agrees that that was an outrageous impeachment. Now, what is the role of the Senate? You've heard, you've heard from the House managers who can't even get the role of the House right, who can't even get the Constitution's language right. You've heard them tell you, your role is to have a real trial with witnesses and evidence, but only the witnesses they want and only the evidence they want. And they want you, this Senate, to lower itself to get information thrown over the transom at the 11th hour by Ukrainian national, Les Parnas, who's been indicted on multiple felony counts in the Southern District of New York. They insist that you listen to him. They want you to take the testimony of the president's former National Security Council, his chief of staff, among others. And I want to break this down very carefully so it can be understood by all. All right, let's stop here. We're taking a short break, and we'll pick it up. This is my opening statement to the Senate. If I had an opening statement to make to the Senate, but really to the American people, as many as possible, about the farce that's taking place as a result of what the farce looked like in the House of Representatives on impeachment. I hope you'll stick with me. I, I think this is very important. We'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. 
So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. played about 11 or 12 minutes of a 38-minute opening to the United States Senate if I were speaking to the United States Senate today, and we're going to continue this. We'll take a break at the bottom of the hour, and we'll continue after the bottom of the hour until we're done. So let's continue. Go. And I want to break this down very carefully so it can be understood by all. Number one, the framers of the Constitution carved out a special role for the United States Senate. The framers of the Constitution weren't even sure if there should be impeachment. There was great debate over this. Some argued, look, the president's elected every four years. We don't really think this is a particularly good idea to give this kind of power to Congress, particularly the House. Others argued, look, if something truly awful takes place between elections, somebody has to have a check on the office of the presidency. And so they came up with a process, very specific language, treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. They used English common law, the English experience. They rejected some of it, adopted some of it, and created some of their own ideas on how the institution should function. That's the box that the House is in. Treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. I've mentioned it half a dozen times so we can remember what the House's job is. The House didn't do its job. It changed its job. So what's the Senate's job? Well, the House can vote to impeach by a single one-vote majority. And of course, factionalism and the the winds of change in politics affect the House more than any other body because those members are elected every two years. Well, the framers understood that. They created the House. There was no House until they created the House. But then they created the Senate, whose members used to be appointed by the legislatures. Now, with the 17th Amendment, they're elected. Fine. But the Senate has a different role. The Senate is not a lapdog to the House of Representatives. The Senate is not a lapdog to the majority party in the House of Representatives that railroaded this president, that had a star chamber proceeding, that rejected different role. The Senate is not a lapdog to the House of Representatives. The Senate is not a lapdog to the majority party in the House of Representatives that railroaded this president, that had a star chamber proceeding, that rejected the language in the Constitution, that rushed to judgment, and then withheld judgment because of political wins. It's the Senate's job to be the check on the House. There's no other check on the House. And that's the way the framers wanted it. So here you sit, and I stand in front of the Chief Justice of the United States. While his role is ministerial, it's majestic. He's the Chief Justice of the United States. They didn't give this responsibility to a court. 
because they didn't think it was purely a legal matter. They wrote down in the Constitution the basic outlines of what's supposed to occur because it's not purely a political matter, even though there's political motivations. It is a constitutional process. Now, having violated that constitutional process in the House of Representatives, both in terms of, of uh, tradition and the actual language in the Constitution, violated their own rules, violated the due process that's been afforded presidents and judges in the past facing potential impeachment, now they come here. What's your job under the Constitution? Well, you'll decide, but I want to give some friendly advice. The reason why the Senate decides the Chief Justice sits behind me, and the Constitution specifically says that a president can only be convicted, not with a simple majority, but a supermajority of two-thirds of the vote, two-thirds of your votes, is so you can, in fact, defend the Constitution when the Constitution must be defended. The House managers want you to believe it's the President of the United States who violated the Constitution. It is our contention, it is the majority in the House that has violated the Constitution. Because they can't even state with specificity what exactly it is under the Constitution that the, the President violated. So they want to turn the Senate into a circus, much the way they had the House conduct itself as a circus. But Nancy Pelosi doesn't control the Senate. These two chairmen and the House managers, they don't control the Senate. You do. Now, again, the framers of the Constitution do you think they'd want you to be calling witnesses and provide testimony and additional evidence when, in fact, the beginning of this process, the impeachment of this process, was so corrupt and unconstitutional? Let me suggest to you, no. They have now lowered the bar for impeachment. They have now effectively amended the Constitution without going through Congress two-thirds votes of both houses and three-fourths votes of the state legislatures. They have effectively amended the Constitution. So policy disagreements, policy disagreements can now be a constitutional basement, uh, basis for removing a president of the United States. Let's take a look at this. Obstruction of Congress. Let's wait here, because we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we will complete my opening statement, if I'd given one, to the United States Senate, and I hope... You will assist us in spreading the word, taking the link off of Levin TV, off my social sites, off of Blaze TV, off of YouTube, and spreading it to friends and neighbors and all over the country. A wildfire in defense of the Constitution and the present. I'll be back. about the Tea Party, we are the Tea Party. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Stick with me, America. We'll battle through this together, and we'll come out through the winning side. When things look bleakest, that's when we unite. Stick together. I've got more of my opening statement, today's trial to the United States Senate, in a moment. You know, Deborah's home was stolen, and I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. This story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned it. 
and it gets worse. She says, I was evicted from my own home and 85000 grand in equity gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily, she says. My friends, this is why you need to get home title lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address to see if you're already a victim and you don't know it. Then sign up to help protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. And to get you started, I got you 60 risk-free days of protection. That's two months. So please, protect your home. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. We continue where we left off. Obstruction of Congress. Go. Let's take a look at this. Obstruction of Congress. Did the president obstruct the Senate? No. Did the president obstruct Congress? No. Not in its legitimate functions. What are they talking about then? They premeditatedly issued a slew of subpoenas that they knew the President of the United States and the United States Department of Justice would have to fight in a federal court in order to protect separation of powers and the independence of the office of the presidency. Not so much President Trump, but the institution. The Constitution doesn't give the House of Representatives or the majority party in the House of Representatives illimitable power. They have to stay in their box too. The President has a box, the Senate has a box, the courts have a box, the states have a box, the federal government and all have a box. So when the House makes demands for witnesses or information that historically, that historically it has not had the right to receive, to have access to. And we have court decisions in this respect. And the President of the United States says, all right, look, we're going to go to court, we're going to litigate this, we're going to go to a neutral decider, an adjudicator, the court, with judicial review. This House, under that party, has said, that's obstruction of Congress. No, that's not obstruction of Congress. That's exactly what a president is supposed to do. The problem is, it is the House of Representatives under the majority party that is violating all the norms. That has said, you know what? We're going to be all roles. We're going to play all roles here. We're going to prosecute and we're going to adjudicate. No president in American history. I heard Mr. Schiff here say himself the way Donald Trump has. Well, Mr. Schiff's knowledge of American history is rather short, and I'll get to that in a moment. No president has ever been treated so shabbily, so unconstitutionally, by a House of Representatives as has Donald Trump. Not one. Not one. What would happen if they're right on this charge of obstruction of Congress? It would mean that Congress would control the presidency, that the presidency would have no independence, that they can call the president's chief of staff, his attorney, his national security advisor. In other words, the closest people that the president must turn to for counsel. What they're telling you, the House managers, what the minority party in this chamber is telling you is, too bad, too bad if we make a claim, if we have enough votes for a subpoena, they have to turn over these witnesses and turn over the documents. But that's not what the court has said. That's not what the Supreme Court has said, is it, Mr. Chief Justice? 
That's not what George Washington said. That's not what Thomas Jefferson said. From the beginning, it's been understood that to have co-equal branches, separation of powers, independence, one branch can't have so much power over another branch. And I dare say that these House managers sitting here today, that these House managers sitting here today, and many senators before the cameras today, who are saying, we want our witnesses, we want our documents, if they were asked to turn over their chief of staff or their general counsels or the text messages, emails, and other documentation that has circulated in their office and the advice that they have received from their closest staffers, they might be offended by that. In fact, I know they'd be offended by that. That's one reason the Freedom of Information Act doesn't apply to Congress, because they've excluded themselves. With all due respect, you've excluded yourselves. Now this phrase, the next one, abuse of power. Abuse of power. There's not a president who has served in the Oval Office who couldn't be impeached for abuse of power. Because the party opposite, when they control one or both houses of Congress, always accuses the president of abusing power. And in some cases, they really do. I've heard it said by the House managers, members in their party, both in the House and the Senate, and others in the media, that this president has abused power like no other president, that he's invited a foreign government to interfere in our election. That's not what that phone call says. He doesn't invite a foreign government to interfere in the election. And keep something in mind. President Trump had no idea that that phone call would be made public. He released it on his own. It was so innocent and, I would argue, exculpatory that he released it. He wanted it out. It's been twisted and turned and redefined. And the, the chief manager for the House, when he was holding his hearing at first in the House Intelligence Committee, had to change what the president said, had to create a fictionalized narrative of what the president said in order to try to persuade the American people that, in fact, what the president did was wrong, but the president didn't do anything wrong. Then they poll-tested phrases like bribery and extortion. Well, they weren't flying, but there was no bribery and extortion. The key witnesses, notice they don't want the president of Ukraine here. The key witnesses say there was no pressure, there was no bribe, there was no quid pro quo, even in their impeachment documents. While they dance around it, the charges, no bribery, nothing of the sort. Now let's talk about this for a moment. Abuse of power. This is the new line they want to use as they seek to amend the Constitution without going through the amendment process. Never before have we seen a president do anything like this. Really? Well, they were alive and some of them were serving in the 1990s when Bill Clinton was running for re-election. And the red Chinese military poured millions of dollars into the Clinton campaign, the Clinton Defense Fund, the DNC, and to several Democrat candidates running for office. Charlie Tree, remember him? John Wong, the Riyadi group. It's all there. It's on the public record for all to see. There wasn't even an independent counsel or a special counsel investigation. The whole matter was dropped after Bill Clinton was reelected. Now, that was real money poured into a campaign to help a candidate, a Democrat, Bill Clinton. And although Bill Clinton in this very body was impeached, impeached because he was accused of violating 11 federal statutes, 11 felonies, 11 felonies. You'll see none in these claims against the president of the United States currently. Clinton, perjury, witness tampering, obstruction, and so forth. Trump, 
None of that. But no concerns when the red Chinese military were pouring money into the Democrat Party, into the Clinton campaign and the Clinton's defense for nothing. Nothing. With a line of the Senate, no disrespect. But these are the facts. The late Senator Ted Kennedy from Massachusetts. After the Soviet Union fell and the, the documents became available and the files were open to the KGB, we learned what? Ted Kennedy threw a surrogate and made contact with the head of the KGB to try to defeat Ronald Reagan as he was running for re-election. But they say they're concerned about interference. Senator Kennedy back then, when it became public, he was alive. There wasn't a single congressional hearing. There wasn't a single ethics investigation. And the media all but ignored the whole thing. Well, isn't that interfering with an election? There's an innocent phone call with President Trump. And these folks want you to believe it's the crime of the century. Well, if it's the crime of the century, why are they making up phrases? The term treason, the term bribery, high crimes and misdemeanors, that's what they have to show. They voted on that. But they actually didn't. They voted on abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. The President of the United States didn't abuse his power. He was concerned about corruption in Ukraine. You know who else was concerned about corruption in Ukraine? Barack Obama. Barack Obama refused to release funds for offensive military equipment to the Ukrainian government while the Russians were invading Ukraine and annexing Crimea. President Trump comes into office, first year, releases funds to the Ukrainian government. Second year, releases funds to the Ukrainian government. Offensive military weaponry funds that the Barack Obama Democrat administration refused. The third year, he says, all right, we have a new president there. He's supposed to be a reformer. I got to check this out. So he waits 55 days, and he gives them their money, over $400 million. Over $400 million. He waited 55 days. The Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, waited a full month until she sent the articles of impeachment to the Senate. I admit a month is in 55 days, but it was a delay on a constitutional matter and a crisis that they created. This is nonsense. They don't have a single witness. They didn't have one in the House when they voted to remove this president. That's what impeachment is about. They're telling you, you need to remove this president. Not a single witness before the House Intelligence Committee, not one, one asked, said the president had committed bribery or that there was a quid pro quo or connected to. And in the House Judiciary Committee, they didn't call any witnesses to make that. But now they say, oh, we've got witnesses now. But we need to hear from John Bolton. We need to hear from this. We need to hear from that. That's a fool's errand, ladies and gentlemen, in the United States Senate. And you must reject that. But let's look at what other presidents have done. Abuse of power. All right. We're going to be right back after this short break. Lovin. Computer systems and cars are the new normal. From electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays to dozens of sensors. But all this advanced tech, frankly, it's expensive to fix if and when it breaks. 
That's why I have CarShield. CarShield is affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more. CarShield has helped over 1 million customers. So drive with confidence knowing you got coverage from America's number one auto protection provider. Whether you have 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles on your vehicle, it's inevitable something will break. Which is exactly why we have CarShield on our 2010 Camaro. Get covered by CarShield today. Call 800-CAR-6000 and mention code LEVIN. Or visit carshield.com and use code LEVIN to save 10%. Either way, that's 800-CAR-6000, mention code LEVIN, or go to carshield.com, use code LEVIN. A deductible may apply. We're going to continue, then we'll take a little break at the top of the hour and finish in the first segment of the next hour. Opening statement to the Senate continued. Go ahead. But let's look at what other presidents have done. Abuse of power. Tell me, would these House managers and their party in the House, and would this Senate have removed John Adams? The original Sedition Act, the Alien Sedition Act? John Adams put journalists in prison and shut down several newspapers that challenged his government and his policies. That's one of the reasons why Jefferson won in the next election. And then eliminated the Alien and Sedition Acts. But would this body have considered that abuse of power? And would you have removed from the presidency the second president of the United States, one of the founding fathers? Think about it. Abraham Lincoln is considered one of our greatest presidents ever. Now, of course, we had a civil war, and that's the context of the points I'm about to make, but he suspended habeas corpus. Read the Constitution. Only you can suspend habeas corpus. But he did it anyway. The Supreme Court eventually reversed him, but after the Civil War was pretty much over. Abraham Lincoln, through his Secretary of War, shut down 300 newspapers, including some newspapers in the North. Was that abuse of power? Abraham Lincoln even had his Secretary of War imprison certain journalists and other people, uh, politicians among others, who were hostile to his positions on the Civil War, including a member of Congress from Ohio, who they deported from Ohio and sent into the Confederate territories. Should Abraham Lincoln have been impeached and removed from office? Wow. Let's go on. Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson had the 1917 Espionage Act passed, and it was amended to include sedition, as it was under the John Adams administration. He put individuals in prison who were his political opponents, hardcore socialists among them. He also unleashed a propaganda effort with the media and was also responsible for shutting down certain newspaper outlets. Should Woodrow Wilson have been impeached? How about when Woodrow Wilson resegregated what would be known as the civil service? Should he have been impeached for that? Let's move on. Just some examples. Franklin Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt signed a military order. My memory is 966, 9066, ordering his generals to round up Japanese Americans and Americans of Japanese descent. And by the way, some Italian Americans and German Americans too, but mostly Japanese took their private property away, their homes and their businesses, moved them into the interior of the United States where the military built literally internment camps to keep about 120,000 of them. 
Should FDR have been impeached? The Supreme Court upheld it. The case is called Karamatsu, right, Mr. Chief Justice? How about Franklin Roosevelt unleashing the IRS against political opponents and media outlets? Like Annenberg, a newspaper magnate in Philadelphia, on the Philadelphia Inquirer that was very hostile to FDR and his administration. He tried to shut it down. He also tried to help the competitor newspaper that supported him. How about Gannett? Gannett was also targeted by the IRS. How about Andrew Mellon, the Treasury Secretary under Coolidge? He directed his Secretary of Treasury, Morgenthau, to get Mellon and put him in prison. For 10 years, the IRS chased Mellon. He was an innocent man. He paid his taxes. They brought him in the federal court. He won. But they attacked him and attacked him. And he wound up, in the end, paying a penalty. But he tried to take him out. FDR sicked the IRS on Huey Long. And we know about Huey Long in Louisiana. And they were close to nabbing him. But then he was assassinated in the capital, Louisiana. How about this one? FDR intervened with the IRS to protect a congressman who was one of the most outspoken defenders of him and the New Deal. That congressman, who was being investigated by the IRS, and they were about to pull the trigger, his name was Lyndon Johnson. And he called off the IRS. How about a few more examples? Well, let's that take a break now. We'll complete what is my opening to the Senate in the so-called Senate trial today that I'm giving to the entire nation pushing out the points to the entire nation because obviously we can't be on the floor of the Senate. A few more examples and then my closing remarks. I hope you're interested in this. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're in taking it all in. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, if you're intelligent. You want to keep your food down tonight at dinner. Do not watch CNN or MSNBC. They are, as you can imagine, grotesque. Absolutely grotesque. All right, the final minutes of my opening statement to the Senate, to America, to you, which again, I hope you will become an activist and circulate it to as many family members, friends, Take your email lists and send it out there so we can get the word out. Here's the final six or seven minutes. Go. The IRS. How about a few more examples that Mr. Schiff and the other House managers and perhaps others here are unfamiliar with? Just to put things in proper context, since this is, in fact, an impeachment trial. What about John Kennedy? John Kennedy had an individual staked out at the IRS who would go through files for him. And among the files they went through were conservative organizations with which he disagreed. 
he knew the tax returns of J. Paul Getty, and, and he would discuss them with individuals at Newsweek, Ben Bradley, and other individuals at the Washington Post. And there were other activities in that administration, which I, I shall not get into, but were raised serious, serious concerns. How about Lyndon Johnson? He used the IRS, the FBI, and the CIA against his political opponents. He used it to spy on civil rights groups. He used it to tap the phones of Martin Luther King. He even tapped the phone of Hubert Humphrey to find out when he was running for the Democrat nomination for president if he supported Johnson's position on the Vietnam War. He used the CIA to spy on the Goldwater campaign. It got so bad that the Goldwater campaign had to have meetings outside of their headquarters because they knew they were being surveilled. Should he have been impeached? Let me pick one more. Barack Obama. The Obama administration sicked the FBI on an investigative reporter for the New York Times, James Risen. They sicked the FBI on a reporter for Fox News, James Rosen. They sicked the FBI and the Associated Press, which resulted in more than a dozen reporters being surveilled in one form or another. Is that a problem? Is that abuse of power? The IRS going after Tea Party organizations? Was that an abuse of power? The selling of arms to drug lords south of the border resulting in the death of a law enforcement officer? Was that abuse of power? I'm laying out this history because abuse of power can mean many things to many people. The President of the United States made a phone call. He didn't use the IRS. He didn't use the FBI. He didn't put reporters in prison. He didn't shut down newspapers. All he did is say to the president of Ukraine, do us a favor. Take a look at Ukraine's involvement in the 2016 campaign. I mean, after all, Politico wrote about it. The Foreign Policy magazine wrote about it. The New York Times mentioned it. It's been out there. We'd like to know what happened. And please work with the attorney general because there's an ongoing criminal investigation looking into all these matters. And then later on, later on, almost in passing, he brings up Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and information he'd been reading. It's out there publicly. He didn't make it up about Burisma and asked them if they would look into that, too. He didn't say, interfere in the election. Get the Bidens. Leak it. Do this. Do it. None of it. It's interesting. In the Mueller investigation, 500 pages of nothing, which the which the opposition party in the House tried to use at first to impeach the president, brought Mr. Mueller in, that didn't work, accused the president of obstruction, that didn't work, because after all, hundreds and hundreds of witnesses, hundreds and hundreds of subpoenas, million pages of documents, not once did the president assert any privilege, attorney-client privilege, executive privilege, and yet, and yet when Bill Clinton was under investigation, he asserted every privilege and made up privileges. This president has been completely transparent with law enforcement and prosecutors. But in the Mueller report itself, Mueller says that they worked with 13 governments, 13 governments, to track down this Russia collusion hoax. They found nothing. No collusion. They found nothing. Our investigators work with foreign governments all the time. The attorney general is doing it today. The U.S. attorney from Connecticut, who's been tasked with investigating aspects of that investigation. <clears throat> He's working with foreign governments today. It happens all the time. 
But the House managers and the majority in the House would have you believe that what the president did was so unusual, so sectional, such an abuse of power. And now that I provided this context, I'm demonstrating that it was an abuse of power at all. Not at all. Now, I understand. I understand this is a difficult process for some people. There are difficult elections taking place. But this is the place that the founders decided, the framers of the Constitution, where justice, fairness, impartiality would be done. Justice, fairness, impartiality for the target, the President of the United States, not for the House managers who conducted themselves in ways that I'm sure their framers would be very, very concerned about. In fact, I think they would detest what they did. So they throw around in a real trial, in a real trial, we would have witnesses. In a real trial, we would have evidence. In a real trial, that case would have been dismissed, and any of those involved who were lawyers would be disbarred for failure to accept even a modicum of due process. This isn't a criminal trial. It's not a civil trial. This is a constitutional matter that is unique to our government, and the role that the Senate plays is uniquely different than a criminal trial or a civil trial. What needs to be done here, in my humble opinion, is this body should defend the Constitution against what took place by the majority in the House of Representatives, breathe life back into the impeachment clause so it can't be used like this again, put the House on trial for what it did, rather than the victim of what the House did, the President of the United States. And we look forward to this trial taking place in the days ahead. Thank you. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, my 38-minute opening to the United States Senate, if I've been speaking today again. This is really intended for you and to get to as many Americans as possible. And here's a thought. You can take the link link right off of our Levin TV Facebook site or Mark Levin Show Facebook or Mark Levin Show Twitter. It's also linked over at Blaze TV. I understand it's on YouTube, but in any event, whatever is most convenient to you. And send it to your family members, your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors. And one other thing. How about you send it to your senators in a friendly email and encourage them to to watch it. Particularly those of you in Colorado, Alaska, Maine, Tennessee with Alexander, and Utah with Romney. But whomever your senator is, Democrat or Republican, but especially Republicans since there's weak links, please be that precinct worker, be that activist. Defend your Constitution. Defend your Republic. Send that link to your... (coughs) Excuse me. Dump. Send that link to your email list. Send it to both of your senators. When we come back, we have the great Peter Schweizer, great patriot. Brand new expose in his book, Profiles in Corruption. Abuse of Power. 
by America's progressive elite. This is a truly compelling book. We'll be right back. Peter Schweizer, how are you, sir? I'm great, Mark. Great to be on with you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. Your book is fantastic, as have your others been. Profiles in Corruption, Abuse of Power by America's Progressive Elite. Who exactly do you cover in this book? Tell the audience. Well, we cover the progressive leaders. Um, We have Joe Biden. uh, We have uh, Elizabeth Warren. We have Bernie Sanders, Amy Klobuchar, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris. Uh, we have um, Sherrod Brown, a senator from Ohio. Uh, we have the, uh, the mayor of Los Angeles, uh, who's a, Eric Garcetti, who's a big progressive. Uh, and the common theme um, is to really investigate them from the standpoint, what have they done with the power they've had? You know, as you've talked about on the show uh, many times, Mark, these progressives are saying, give us more power. Give us more power, we will take care of you. And what, what I think the book demonstrates clearly is the power that they have already now, they have abused it, they've used it for their own self-interest, for the profit of their family, uh, to advance their political careers. Um, and it's really abuse of power in the true sense of the word, not what's being discussed on Capitol Hill, but real abuse of power. And this is a result of an 18-month investigation. You know, Amy Klobuchar is being pushed now by the New York Times. And I fear that people out of Wisconsin know very little about her. The New York Times is positioning her, and she's trying to position herself as a left-of-center, sort of common-sense liberal. She's none of those things. But what did you find on her? Uh, well, a couple of things. Um, so before she was a U.S. senator, she was a uh, prosecutor in Hennepin County uh, in, in Minneapolis area, um, and she was highly selective in who she chose to, to prosecute. So she went after uh, people, which, which she said engaged in financial fraud. So she went after airline pilots who uh, claimed they were living out of state but were living in Minnesota, and she said they were avoiding paying Minnesota income taxes. She went after uh, you know small uh, operators. Um, who she said engaged in financial fraud. Who did she not go after? She did not go after some very big hedge fund operators who were involved in the biggest Ponzi scheme other than the famous one we all know about in New York. Uh, This guy's name was Thomas Petters, uh, and she had all these warning signs. Uh, She arrested people around him, but she never went after him. Why? Because he was her largest campaign contributor, Um, and she knew something was wrong and she did not prosecute it. Beyond that, when you get to her tenure in the U.S. Senate, Mark, um, the pattern is very, very clear. She shakes down industries and companies for donations. So she'll get, you know, say 25 executives from a company to give her money over a three or four day period. Uh, And then within two weeks, she will introduce legislation that's beneficial to them. Is that right? Yes. That sounds like a quid pro quo. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, and it's a pattern that, that is sort of very, very clear. She's a paradox, Mark, because she votes with Bernie Sanders 87% of the time, but she is one of the biggest recipients of large corporate donations of anybody in the U.S. Senate. And that's because she abuses her power and, and uses her power to uh, basically extract donations in exchange for favors from large corporations. So she really is a chameleon, isn't she? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the the image of sort of the moderate Midwesterner, the reasonable one. The other thing we show is that, of course, there's been rumors and discussions about, uh, let's just say, her abusiveness as a boss in the U.S. Senate. Uh, we found numerous cases of that going back to her tenure in, as uh, the prosecutor in, in Minneapolis. Uh, very abusive to her staff, very quick to take credit, um, not the sort of thing you would expect from somebody uh, who claims to be, as they say, Minnesota nice. <laughs> All right, a couple of the others people may not be thinking of. Booker. Yeah, I mean, Cory Booker is very interesting. You know, he was uh, initially seen as this reformer um, in Newark, New Jersey. He was in favor of charter schools. He wanted to shake up the local government. If you look at his record when he became mayor of Newark, New Jersey, um, it is one of the most corrupt cesspools um, that you can imagine. And I'm not just talking about the way Newark was before he got there. I'm talking about his administration, senior aides, numerous senior aides, charged and convicted on bribery. Uh, he used uh, a lot of resources of the city to advance his own political career. Uh, then when he came to the United States Senate, uh, he has this massive revolving door of very close political aides uh, who join lobbying firms. And they, they take on clients depending on Cory Booker's committee assignments. So for example, uh, a couple of these aides didn't have any foreign clients, but when Cory Booker joins the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, suddenly they're taking on clients like Turkey and all these foreign governments. So it's it's a real uh, machine, sort of Tammany Hall-type operation that Cory Booker has run for a long time. And it's really shocking when you read the stories. And this, like everything in the bookmark, these are not anonymous sources. These are legal documents. These are corporate records. People are going to be shocked and wondered, why did I never hear about this, about Cory Booker? I always heard he was this new, refreshing reformer who was going to change things. Nothing could be further from the truth when you look at his actual record in New Jersey. Now, you're just touching on these. I want folks to know you get into great detail and far more uh, substance on each one of these individuals in your book. Now, the Bidens, you wrote a piece in the New York Post as well. This really is a corrupt family that plays on their name. Let me ask you a question before we get into that in some detail. I'm convinced that one of the many reasons, but one of the reasons for this impeachment on this issue of the Bidens is to try to immunize them from attack, political attack and investigation, should he be the nominee, so they would make it like kryptonite. That would be the bubble family. So, you know, you can't mention them because, you know, then you're interfering with an election. You can do whatever you want to Trump, of course. Does that sound like a potentiality to you? Oh, I think you're. I think you hit the nail right on the head, Mark. That's exactly right. I mean, this is this is the the conversation that I always have with friends of mine who are politically liberal. Um, you know. Mark, we were told in 2016 you cannot investigate Hillary Clinton, um, you know, after the election because she's no longer going to be in office. Now we're being told you cannot investigate Joe Biden because he's running for office. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes, when are you supposed to investigate people who are engaged in corrupt behavior? And, and in the case of the Bidens, I mean, it's just, it's not even a question. I mean, uh, I've, I've talked with you several times. In fact, you know, you and I together really broke a lot of the Hunter Biden uh, uh, stories back in March of 2018 when, when we first, you know, researched and, and exposed uh, his dealings in Ukraine and his dealings in China. Hunter Biden is the tip of the iceberg. We, we call them the Biden Five. 
And I have never seen this before, Mark. I've been on your show numerous times. We've talked about corrupt Republicans, corrupt Democrats, uh, you know, rooting them all out. I have never in my professional career encountered a family where five members are engaged in behavior where they are using and abusing the powers that Joe Biden has for their financial benefit. So Hunter Biden is just the first part of the pattern, and I think you're quite right. They see this as a vulnerability. It's been exposed, and now they basically want Joe Biden to have a get-out-of-jail-free card. All right, um, I want you to hold on. I'm taking you right up to the end of the program, so we got two big more segments. This book is crucially important. I strongly encourage you to get it. Perfectly timed. Profiles in corruption. Abuse of power by America's progressive elite. Peter Schweitz and his team spent a year and a half investigating this. And we'll continue with Peter after the bottom of the hour. I'll be right back. The champion of liberty and true conservatism. Call Mark now. 877-381-3811. You know, it's a new year, the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin makes it easy. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-E-V-I-N. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't just stop there. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, you, my listeners, can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-E-V-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And by the way, Peter Schweizer will be my guest on Life, Liberty, and Levin. Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. And we're going to get elaboration on these subjects, so it's very, very important. Peter's book is Profiles in Corruption, Abuse of Power by America's Progressive Elite. We have linked to it on my social sites, Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. You can go directly to Amazon. It's available right now. You ought to grab it. Now, let's get to the Bidens. Let's at least get a little taste of this, Peter. How many Bidens are we talking about here? Well, there's five. Think, that, think of the Jackson five. These are the Biden five. Um, yeah. But they're all linked to corrupt deals and self-enrichment when Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. And, Mark, these are deals very similar to Hunter's. You know, remember the whole thing? Hunter had no experience in Ukraine, no experience in energy, but he got this sweetheart deal. You find the same thing uh, replicated uh, with his two brothers, James Biden and Frank Biden, um, his sister, Valerie Biden. Um, and there's actually a deal also in, involving uh, his daughter's uh, husband, uh, who actually launched a business in the Oval Office, of all places. So they, along with Hunter, make up the Biden Five. And it, this has been a corrupt family enterprise when Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. And we'll get into this in more detail on Sunday night's program, of course. But it's an amazing thing how the media protect Biden, isn't it, Pete? 
It is. It, it's, it's really surprising. A complete, complete lack of curiosity about this. You know, when, when, when I came on your show and when um, the book came out, Secret Empires, and we talked about uh, the deal involving China, we talked about the deal involving Ukraine, the book was number one on the New York Times bestseller list. I got no contact. And, and by the way, it really took off. That was a very, very important subject. It got the attention of a lot of people. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. Well, thank you, Mark. Um, yeah, and and um, no interest whatsoever ever from journalists. And you know, and I, I continue to ask if 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 this were the Trump family, if 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 Don Jr. had flown on Air Force One with his dad to China, and signed a you know one and a half billion dollar private equity deal with the Chinese government, uh, the media would be going ballistic. I'd be going ballistic. But of course, that hasn't happened. The Bidens did it, and for some reason. I think we all know the reason. Uh, they have a complete lack of interest in reporting on this stuff. And that's why it's so important that it be exposed and we share it with people. Because all this research, Mark, as you know, we don't use anonymous sources. There are journalists that love using anonymous sources. No anonymous sources. This is all follow the money. It's all based on corporate records, court documents, banking records from seven different countries. And you can look at the material. You can know they got the deals. You can know they got paid. And then the question everybody has to ask is, does this look right or does this look wrong? And to my mind, it looks terribly wrong. And that's kind of where we are on this. You know, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Let me, let me ask Chuck Todd, you listen to this show. Where the hell are you? Jake Tapper? Where are they? Are they not curious about this at all? You've done all the legwork here. They can challenge your investigations. They can bring you on, but they don't. They pretend you don't exist. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, let me get, let me give you one example from the Bidens that that I think will just you know sort of really uh, surprise people. In June of 2011, Joe Biden goes to Barack Obama and says, "I want you to meet with these company executives. They've started a new company. They don't have a website. It's only been around for two weeks. They don't have a business plan." come and meet uh, uh, with these people in the Oval Office. So they go to the Oval Office, they get their pictures taken, these company executives put it up on the website, and the next day, believe it or not, this new young company gets featured in the Obama administration's big health data conference. And then over the course of the next five years, through the rest of the Obama administration, Joe Biden goes to this company that's called Startup Health and briefs investors, briefs their partners behind closed doors. Now, um, unbelievable. Yeah. Now, the chief medical officer of this company just happens to be married to Joe Biden's daughter. Mm. You would think this would be a classical example. Again, imagine if the Trumps did this, the outcry that would be there, the outcry I would have about it. But that hasn't happened. The Trumps haven't done that. The Bidens did it. And it's a clear, clear example. You're launching a business from the Oval Office. You're using the White House. You're using the president as basically publicity material. Then you are going and you are briefing investors in your son-in-law's business privately on Obama Health Administration policy. And nobody in the mainstream media knew about this until we exposed it. We know about it, by the way, because the son-in-law gave an account of it in this specialty publication. So this is not my story. This is the son-in-law actually recounted this to other people. So it's, it's, that's just one example of the sort of thing we're talking about, the self-dealing of the Bidens, and no interest from the media in this. By the way, let me ask you a side question on impeachment. We'll get back to this. 
the House passes these articles of impeachment that have no linkage to the actual requirement of treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. That's certainly my opinion. Yeah. And they're very broad. And they vote on it. And presumably they had a compelling reason to do so, right, Peter? <laughs> right. <laughs> so why are they in the Senate going on and on and on? What are their compelling reasons? Let's see. Where's the treason, bribery, other high crimes or misdemeanors? They have none. So you're supposed to have, quote-unquote, a trial, if you have any at all, on what they've already done in the House, what so compelled them to start a removal process of the President of the United States. And all day and all night long, they have graphs and clips of the need for witnesses and documents. This isn't the way this is supposed to operate, is it? No, no, not at all. And look, this is just an example of how this process has been skewed because of it's a witch hunt. And at the center of it, by the way, is Joe Biden. I am one of the people who believes that the phone call that the president had with Zelensky in Ukraine was an entirely legitimate phone call Mm. because Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were engaged in corruption. And more to the point, and this really has not been picked up by by the media in any way, Mark, Zelensky, the new leader of Ukraine, was elected. His chief financial backer was a Ukrainian oligarch named Kolomoisky. Kolomoisky is reportedly involved in what? In Burisma, the company that was paying Hunter Biden. So it's quite legitimate for a president to raise it directly with Zelensky, knowing that Zelensky would be under pressure from his chief backer not to look into this. This is the sort of thing that the media doesn't want to tell you about, and I really do believe um, that this is sort of a touchstone. Uh, are our political leaders, meaning the Bidens, are they essentially above the law? Are they uh, essentially in a position, have they reached a position in life, Mark, where they can no longer be investigated? They can no longer be looked at. They can no longer be held into account as to how they are profiting and manipulating government power to benefit their family. That's really ultimately what this is about. It's amazing. And yet the endless investigations of Trump, and they say if they don't get him now, they're going to keep impeaching him down the future. And they're saying that he interfered in the 2016 election when Obama barely lifted a finger with the Russians. They're already saying if, if Trump wins the 2020 election, it's a sham. Have you ever seen a political party like this tear the heart out of a nation so that the, the nation, so many millions of people in the country, have no faith in the system anymore? No, they don't. They don't have faith in the system because they see that the rules are different. And I think you're right. It's tearing us apart. But it's also further feeding people's cynicism about our national leaders. And I can't blame them. I mean, you know, let me give you another Biden example, again, of how these double standards exist, Mark. So you have James Biden, Joe Biden's brother. You go back to 2011, um, a friend of the family, a guy named Kevin Justice, visits uh, Joe Biden's office in the White House. He set up a new construction company called Hillstone International. He meets with Joe Biden's office. Three weeks later, James Biden, Joe Biden's brother, is appointed executive vice president of this construction company. Now, James does not have any background in construction. He does not have any background really in this kind of business at all. Uh, and if you look at the company resume, Mark, it's all about who his brother is, that his brother's vice president of the United States. Within six months, this new startup company with Joe Biden's brother as executive vice president gets a contract to build 100,000 homes in Iraq. 
100,000 homes in Iraq. Incredible. They, they get other contracts from the State Department for these construction projects. Again, I ask you, people look at that. It does not pass the smell test. But this has become normal in Washington, and it's one of the reasons that, that you know, the approval ratings of Congress, the approval ratings of the media, the approval ratings of Washington, D.C. in general are so darn low. Because they know that this stuff goes on. They know it's become acceptable. You have some people on, on the other side doing it as well. And no one's ever held into account. And that's what I think is fueling the anger. It's the anger among conservatives that support Donald Trump. It's also fueling the sort of Bernie Sanders left, who also see this stuff going on. Their, their solution is socialism, which is disastrous. But, but it's that same anger, and it is not going to go away. But the Bernie Sanders, board. when we come back, is corrupt, too. That's right. All right. When we come back with Peter Schweizer, we're going to get into that. Profiles and Corruption. It's a brand new book. In fact, it came out today, didn't it? That's right. Abuse of Power by America's Progressive Elite. The book has come out today. Where is it on Amazon, Mr. Producer? Number two, well, we'd like it to be number one, ladies and gentlemen. So I want to encourage you to go on Amazon and grab a copy. Profiles in Corruption, Abuse of Power by America's Progressive Elite. Here again, this is something you want to spread to your friends and your neighbors in the run-up to what is going to be a very, very difficult election. Peter Schweitzer, we'll be right back. in. Security is like getting commercial-grade enterprise-level security, but for your own home. Think about the security Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately. Now, this is exactly the kind of security you get with Simply Safe. If there's a break-in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. And that means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your home, plus Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. You can set up your system yourself with no tools needed, or Simply Safe's experts can do it for you. It's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Go to simplysafemark.com today to get free shipping on your order, plus a 60 day money back guarantee. That's simplysafemark.com to save on home security today. SimplySafeMark.com. We're back with Peter Schweizer. The book is Profiles in Corruption, Abuse of Power by America's Progressive Elite. I encourage you to get it immediately. You can order it on Amazon. You just go through Mark Levin's show, Facebook, Mark Levin's show, Twitter, or go to Amazon directly. So Peter Schweizer, Bernie Sanders is very hostile to wealth and capitalism and all the rest. Tell us about Bernie. Yeah, well, I can touch on it. I mean, Bernie's chapter is 40 pages in this book. There's a lot of material. Well, we'll hit more on this Sunday, too. So Yes, absolutely. No, Bernie is fascinating because you're right. He used to rail against billionaires and millionaires in government. Uh, And that was the phrase he always used. Um, When he became a millionaire, he dropped that and just said he was opposed to billionaires in government. Um, And what you find is that a lot of the money he's made has been through his government service. When he was mayor of Burlington, Vermont, he put his then-girlfriend, 
girlfriend, later wife, on the payroll. Uh, it was not approved by the city council. Uh, it was not a position that they created or funded. He said, screw you, I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, when he ran for Congress, uh, he put his kids on the payroll um, for his campaigns, particularly for something, Mark, uh, that you know about can be very lucrative, which is media buying. So if you're running for political office and, and, and I do the media buy for you, let's say I buy a million dollars worth of advertising, I can take a 15% commission off the top for myself. That's $150,000. You can make a lot of money doing media buys. And when he ran for Congress, his wife Jane did that, and she made over $150,000 doing mm. that. Now, here's mm. where it gets interesting, Mark. When Bernie runs for president in 2016, we're no longer talking about congressional-type campaign budgets. We're talking about tens of millions of dollars. So who does the media buying for his campaign in 2016? Well, it's kind of hard to know because he runs it through this company called Old Town Media, which is registered to a home in suburban Virginia on a cul-de-sac. And this company has no website. You don't really know who's behind it. With some research, you find out that's behind it is two of Jane's old friends um, who were taking commissions on $83 million Jeez. worth of media buys. So you're talking about, you know, about $12 million. Now, Jane was actually asked about this. A local progressive Vermont reporter asked Jane, did she have any connection to Old Town Media and all the money they were making off of media buyers? You know what Jane's answer was? Hmm? She didn't answer. She hung up the phone. <laughs> so the question would be, we know he's done believe uh -oh, he's doing it now. How much money did they make off of these media buys during his 2016 campaign? How many homes do they have? They have three homes. They have three homes. Uh, one of them is actually held in a trust for tax purposes. I mean, Bernie wants other people to pay taxes, but he doesn't want to pay taxes. And Mark, he also has a history with campaign and other employees of not actually hiring them as employees, but hiring them as contractors. And he did this several times. And that way you don't have to pay uh, pension and medical contributions and Social Security and all the rest. That's exactly right. He did this when he ran for Congress, uh, and complaints were filed against him, and he ended up having pay to pay back taxes because the Vermont government said, yeah, this was an inappropriate use of contractors. So, you know, Bernie is all about everybody else living up to their social responsibility and paying their fair share of taxes, but when it comes to Bernie, those same rules apparently don't apply. You know, Peter Schweizer, it amazes me how many people whose entire career has been about government become extraordinarily rich. Yes. I look at the Obamas after they left office. They have to be worth two, three hundred million dollars. You look at Al Gore, quarter of a billion dollars. You look at the Clintons, quarter of a billion dollars. They go after Trump, who made billions of dollars before he came into office, and gives away his salary, and could be making a hell of a lot more if he were still in the private sector. But very little is said by the media about these politicians who come into office poor, and then when they leave, they get extremely rich, or in the case of Sanders, he's a multimillionaire, and he's never left. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right, Mark. And I think this is, again, something that really infuriates people on both sides of the aisle, because they get it. They get it. This is supposed to be, what's the phrase they use? This is supposed to be public service. The only people they're servicing are themselves, and they're doing it by these deals. Sometimes they don't even do it themselves. They cover it up, as Joe Biden did, by setting up their family members. So, well, you know, Peter Schweizer, I've got to run. We're going to see you on Sunday. We can't wait. 
Your book, Profiles and Corruption, is absolutely terrific. I strongly encourage my audience to get there tonight at Amazon. Many ways to get there and order it online, that is. And I wish you well. And we salute all you heroes out there. I want to thank you. And don't, don't let these clowns in the Democrat Party on TV get you down. See you tomorrow.